Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Well, hey, Lake Point family. Today is not just a really special day for our church, but it's a really special day for me personally. Um, last February, uh, we invited somebody that was honestly like a personal spiritual mentor to me long distance when I was very young and growing up in ministry to come preach at Lake Point. And very frankly, after this person preached at Lake Point, there was an overwhelming tidal wave of response and encouragement. Uh, he was described with three words, folksy, likable and biblical. Uh, those are three words that I love. And so Lake Point, would you please give a hero's welcome to a personal friend, a long distance mentor and friend of Lake Point, Pastor Dave Stone. Well, thank you. Thank you for that nice introduction. And it is great to be back at Lake Point. And I've been enjoying your series, All I Want for Christmas. And I love these last two messages that Josh did, talking about hope and talking about peace. And uh, I had my wife watch them. They were so good. I said, you got to watch this, honey. But uh, it's just great to be back with you all. And when you think about all I want for Christmas, you've got those thoughts swimming through your head right now because this is the week, right? And we think of a variety of different things that, that will bring us hope or peace. And today we want to talk about joy. And I love talking about joy at Lake Point because that's how I have characterized this church is with that word joy. I saw a post of a letter that someone had written to Santa. It, it read, Dear Santa, all I want is a fat bank account and a skinny body. Please don't mix it up again like you did last year. Now, from the outset, when I talk about joy, I'm, I'm not talking about some sappy, phony uh, spirit of faking it and acting as if you are always exuberant and overflowing with happiness. No, when we, we say all I want for Christmas is joy, we're referring to, to something that is deep and abiding. It, it goes beneath the surface and it flows out of your relationship with the Lord. And that's the only explanation for it. I officiated at, at two different funerals this past week. And while there was weeping and sorrow among the families, there was still a, a joy. You say, well, how is that possible? I mean, a 61-year-old man is diagnosed with ALS and spends the next 18 months slowly becoming crippled throughout his entire body. I mean, Dave, if, if that's joy, then his loved ones must, must be sadists, right? No, they, they just happen to be committed believers whose joy is rooted in a belief that Jesus came to earth, conquered the grave, and so her husband can conquer the grave. And those girls are saying, my dad, I'll be able to see him again. That's why they could have joy. And their joy is undergirded by a belief that, that God's word is true. And when it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, they believe that. In heaven, he'll have a glorified body. And that's why in the midst of their pain, they can still have a great joy. Why don't you take your Bibles out, if you would, and turn to Luke chapter 2. 
You can follow along in your Bible or in your $1,000 camera that is equipped with the Bible. And in the Christmas story, I want you to listen for the word joy. We'll begin with Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Today in December of 2022, I want you to know that there was great joy on that first Christmas And we can still experience that same joy today. So let's begin by briefly looking at a few joy robbers that have a way of stealing our joy away in the month of December. Now, there are a lot of different ones, but let me just give you some joy robbers. Uh, There's three of them that we'll talk about. And the first one is that of busyness. And you know what that feels like in this month. There's traffic by the mall, there's traffic everywhere. The the hecticness of Christmas programs and parties at work and buying presents and the list goes on and on and on. And my experience has been that when Christ gets crowded out, our joy exits with him. So busyness is a joy robber. A second one can be life circumstances. I mean, life happens And we never know what each day is going to hold for us, right? You're probably familiar with the verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, why does the Apostle Paul have to say that word always? You know, why why can't it be be joyful when things are going well? Or or even when things are going so-so, well, try to be joyful then. But instead, he says, always. Well, the reason why is because it's one of the strongest testimonies for Christ is is when Christians are consistent. But we are are well aware that Satan is alive and well. He is the enemy. The Bible refers to him as the father of lies, the prince of, of darkness, the deceiver, Lucifer, Satan, the devil. We read in John chapter 10, verse 10, where it says that he has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And he will do whatever he can to rob you of your joy and disrupt your life. He wants your decisions to be dictated by external circumstances rather than by inner joy. Now, if you're a baseball fan, you may be aware of what happens in San Francisco at each of their Giants home games. There will be kayakers who camp out in the midst of some water there called McCovey's Cove. And if someone hits a towering home run over the right field wall, the ball will land in McCovey's Cove. And these kayakers spend the entire afternoon or entire evening just hoping that they will have a chance to pursue that coveted prize, uh, a home run baseball that they will be able to tell their grandchildren about. I want you to watch this, this recent scene during a, a Giants game back in August. Watch this with me. Monway Jr. turns on one, but hooks it inside the phone. Look out below. Uh-oh. The fight is on. Did, uh, oh, look out. Oh, 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 James. Look at Dave. 
is cold blooded. <laughs> wow. Oh, no. <laughs> what are we doing out there? <laughs> well, that'll change your attitude quickly, won't it? I saw that and I thought, that's a pretty good picture of our lives. Things are going along smoothly and you're pursuing godly and good things. And then out of nowhere, at the last second, Satan swoops in and robs you of your joy. I am a little bit concerned that my illustration presents the devil as a guy named Dave. Uh, that is very unfortunate, right? But the Bible warns us that, that Satan has come to kill and to steal and to destroy. And what you nearly have in your grasp, Satan suddenly grabs and removes. You think it's a joyful time, the things are going well, but how quickly things can change. It might be that relationship that you thought was going somewhere. It may be that positive health report that you get, only to be followed by discouraging news on your next appointment. It might be that promotion that you had been promised. It could be another pregnancy that once again ends in another miscarriage. But part of living a life of joy is striving for consistency in your daily walk, regardless of the painful circumstances that you may have to endure. And, and Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, it says to praise God in the good times and also in the bad times. It's that life of consistency. And when a Christian and a non-Christian are both going through the same struggle or hardship, the world should be able to see the difference in your attitude. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 says, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, a third way that we can lose our joy in December is due to comparisons. It's interesting that we never compare ourselves to people who are more spiritual or more righteous than we are. We always want to, to look better than we are in that realm. But when it comes to material possessions or creature comforts, we can always make a case for why we are entitled to have more than what we currently have. And we use our comparisons with, with others to justify our purchases and justify our lifestyle. But comparisons will always take a bite out of your joy. They chip away at your contentment. Comparisons serve as a barrier. Do you remember when Instagram started? When it first started, we were all so excited about Instagram. In the first few years, you remember what would happen? You would scroll through 20 pictures, maybe 30 pictures, before all of a sudden an ad would pop up. And you're like, oh, wow, what's that ad? Where did that come from? And you'd look at that. Well, gradually, over time, through the years, what have they done? They've started increasing the frequency of the ads. And so now you can't scroll through three or four posts without there being some ad that's shown to you. And it will show you some product that you've never even heard of, but now you're pretty convinced that your life would not be complete without it, right? And within two clicks of your finger, you could have that on your front door within two days. Now, the frightening thing is that the products they push on you are often things that you mentioned out loud in the last 24 hours. Isn't that unsettling? I mean, it, it is for me that your mobile device is listening to the things that you're saying and figuring out the things that are important to you. That's quite unnerving. And, and there's ways, though, that you can take advantage of it. You can do what I do. 
when my wife Beth leaves the room, I grab her phone and I just start saying, new golf clubs, Christmas gift, new golf clubs, kind-hearted husband, new golf clubs, Christmas gift exchange, new golf clubs. So I'll tell you in January if it worked out, all right? So many times we look at what we have or what we don't have and we play that comparison game and it's a joy robber. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. He says, don't compare yourself. Don't go around with a measuring tape seeing how much they have because if they have more, it will just make you want to covet those things. And if they have less, you'll become proud and you'll say, well, look, see, you know, I, I don't need that much in order to, to be happy. We spend money that we don't have to buy things that we don't need to impress people that we don't even like. And we somehow think that it will bring us joy and happiness, but it never delivers on its promise. If your disposition and your demeanor are wrapped up in your financial portfolio, then your joy will be tied to how the stock market did last week. If your self-image is tied to your appearance, then the older you get, the worse you'll feel about yourself and who it is that God made you to be. And if you can only be joyful if you live in a certain neighborhood or you have that corner office, that's... Those things are pretty wishy-washy because those things could be gone tomorrow. So have that Christ dependency. Those things that I mentioned, they're, they're not bad things unless they dictate whether or not you're joyful in this life. Now, we spent some time talking about what keeps us from, from having joy. Let's flip the script and let's realize that because Jesus came on that first Christmas, we can have joy. And I'm going to give you three reasons why. We can have great joy, first, because Jesus gave generously. He gave generously. I, I love that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's a short one, verse 15. It just says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's Christmas. That gift was and is Jesus. The most familiar version, all the Bible should give us joy. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that, that he gave. He gave his one and only son. You talk about giving generously. And think about how he gave him. He left heaven and he came to earth. John chapter 1, verse 14 says that the word became flesh. And that word where it says became, it implies leaving what you once were to become something new. Divinity becomes humanity. And that's a trade that, that no one else would make. And so the giver was sacrificial. The giver was unselfish. A couple of summers ago, I was out of town. I was at the home of a, a good friend. And after I'd had dinner with his family, he said, hey, hey. He said, come, come with me. He said, I'm, I'm going to show you something. I said, what? Well, he took me out of the kitchen into the next room. It was his bedroom. And he said, look at that. And it was a massage chair. He said, man, I, I just got it. He said, I'm so excited. He said, you cannot leave until you get in there and, and, and you sit through one, one cycle. I'm like, you don't need to twist my arm, right? And so I got in it. And a few minutes later, when, when I woke back up, uh, 
I just, I was going crazy over it. And I looked at him and I said, dude, I said, I love this chair. And it was pretty incredible. Now that was in August. A few months later, the day after Christmas, I got a phone call from him. We talk on the phone regularly. He was just checking up, see how my Christmas went. And then he said, oh, he said, I just got a notification that uh, some, a package that I sent to you is at your house. It's right outside your garage, so don't back over it. I said, okay, well, I said, I'll go get it right now. And he stayed on, on the phone with me. And when I opened up my garage door and looked out, there was a huge box truck there with a lift on it. And I just looked at that. And I said, oh, I said, you didn't. He said, I did. My wife, Beth, was out there. She was pumped up and excited. My son, Sam, was out there doing a dance. He was pumped up about it. And I got to tell you, I got a lump in my throat when I saw that truck. And I said, my, my eyes just, just kind of teared up. I, I only cry if you give me a new massage chair, all right? <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm serious. I was so blown away by that. And the rest of the day, I just kept saying over and over again, I just kept saying, man, alive, he, he, he is so generous. He is so generous. And my son said, well, I, I helped too. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, I didn't know that. Did you chip in on the cost? He said, no, I gave him your address. <laughs> Not quite the same, right? I cannot tell you how many ways we try to express gratitude to him. We called him every night that week. We made videos of every family member in the massage chair. We each wrote him a personal note. The next time I was in his state, the next time that I saw him, I went up to him and I said, dude, I said, thank, thank you so much. I said, and by the way, I, I love your car. Uh, 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 you know, I... It's worth a try, right? <laughs> I, I didn't really say that. I, I thought it. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. God loves a cheerful giver. And that word for cheerful is the word hilarious. You surprise someone with a massage chair, that is hilarious giving. In other words, our giving should seem ridiculous to the world. But to God, it pleases him because when we give generously, we resemble our heavenly father and that brings us joy. And so as you wrap up your, your giving for the year, look in your checkbook, look around your home. Is there anything there that belongs to God? Is there anything that you need to return and, and give to him to show that he deserves the first fruits? Maybe it's a, a gift to the annual missions offering and you just say, I, I, I just wanna make a difference to close out this year. God the Father who gave up his son on that first Christmas and the son who would give up his life on that first Good Friday. You talk about ridiculous generosity but let's also see that secondly, we can have great joy because Jesus pursued community. Jesus came to earth for the sake of others. He, he wasn't a loner when he got here. He didn't just stay away from people. He didn't just look out for number one. Jesus came and for 30 years, he walked the earth and then he identified 12 men 
And he said, I will pour into them for three years and, and then I'm leaving and going back to heaven. And it will be that ragtag team that was commissioned to carry out his message and his mission one-on-one -on -one through people after Jesus left through the power of the Holy Spirit. That was Jesus' plan. You say, well, what if it, it, it doesn't work? What's his plan B? There was no other plan B. That was it. My point is, he came and he pursued community. He got close to people. In fact, Jesus would not have had a ministry if it weren't for interruptions. And those interruptions on a daily basis of people coming and, and being in need, they kind of served to help guide him through the day. But as a nation, we are in a loneliness epidemic that has followed our worldwide pandemic. And we have kept people at a six-foot distance. And when the pandemic ended, we continued to keep our guard up. And we've been lulled into loneliness because Satan has duped us into thinking that we're better off apart than we are together. I like the way Randy Frazee talks about what, what the Christian life should be like. He says it should be three overlapping circles for, for a thriving and growing Christian. He said there should be a large circle. And that large circle represents the worship experience on the weekend. And the word that we would use to characterize that large circle is inspiration. We come here, whatever campus you're at, you, you're there and you are inspired by being side by side with Christian brothers and sisters. The medium circle also overlaps in there. And that is for Bible teaching. Maybe it's a, a life group that meets on campus. And that medium-sized group, it's there for not inspiration, but it's there for information. And that's what takes place. You get to know God's word better. And then there is a, a, a small circle. And that small circle that overlaps with these others, we, we call that our, our life group that might be meeting off campus. Maybe it's in a workplace. Perhaps it's in a, a, a neighborhood. Maybe it's with volunteers, a volunteer team at church. But it's, it's for your involvement. It's where you go deeper as you are in community with other Christ-like followers and you can serve. You ever been at a wedding or some event honoring someone and most of the attendees are from right there from the area, but then someone points out a person and says, hey, see that guy over there? They've been close friends for a number of years. In fact, he flew across the country to be here for his buddy tonight. And you say, wow, he traveled that far? They must be awfully close. And that's what happened when God took the form of a little baby and he left heaven and he came to earth and he pursued you. He wanted to be in community with you. He wanted to have a close relationship with you. Look how far he came. And when you get into community with others, you realize you're not alone, that there are others who have been right where you are and that there is hope. And Satan wants to rob your joy and have you do life in your own little world. And joy diminishes when we withdraw due to fear or insecurity or depression. Now, I just want you to know, if you're struggling with depression, isolation is the weapon that Satan will come at you with. It's perhaps his strongest weapon in his arsenal of evil. But we don't heal in isolation. We heal in community through honesty and through accountability. 
Now, I love the way that Pastor Andy Stanley puts it. He says, people usually drift away from their community of faith before they drift away from faith. And he's right. And maybe that's why the Hebrew writer goes for the jugular and promotes the importance of corporate worship and, and getting to know one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now back in Luke chapter two, why were the shepherds joyful? And why should we be joyful? Was because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We talked about that earlier. I love the way the message paraphrases it to read, and Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's what Jesus did. And part of our joy comes from the fact that he pursued community with us. Emmanuel, God with us. So we can have great joy because Jesus gave generously. He pursued community. And thirdly, we can have great joy because Jesus served humbly. He was a servant. I was talking with a, a friend at church last week, and she had just started a, a new job about six months before. And, and I said to her, I said, Maya, I said, how do you like your job? And she looked at me and she said, well, I'm I'm joyful. And because she's a good friend, I, I dug just a little bit deeper, and I said, so, so do you like it there? And she smiled, and she said, well, I'm, I'm not always happy in that job, but I've learned that joy comes from the inside, and so even though I'm not always happy there, I choose to be joyful. You know, joy is a choice. It's a choice that we have to make. It's a mindset to be joyful in your service. And Jesus modeled that for us. He served at his birth and leaving heaven and coming to earth. He did so throughout his life as he served people throughout his teaching and healing, washing feet, caring for people. He served throughout his death, staying on the cross when he had the power to come down from the cross. And crucifixions were so horrific that one of the gospels reduces all of the pain and all of the embarrassment with just a three-word phrase. And it simply says, they crucified him. And that's all it said. Because everybody back then, they knew everything that went with crucifixion. They knew the pain from the nails. They, they knew the humiliation from the nakedness. And so it just said they crucified him. But the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And part of our joy comes from, from what he gave up. He left a perfect paradise for an existence on earth. He's going to exchange the hails of glory for the nails of Calvary. And someone had to bear the penalty of, of my sin and of your sin. And God the Father said, I love you all too much not to offer you grace. So my son, my perfect son, will pay the penalty of your sin. And so he stayed on the cross when he could have come down. And I want to make certain that you get this. Jesus put himself where I deserve to be so that someday I can be where I do not deserve to be. 
And his cross is the bridge that spans the gulf between my sin and God's throne. And here in America, let's be honest, the the goal in America is to climb the ladder of success. But Jesus Christ is going to do just the opposite when he's on earth. He will descend the ladder. He will choose to serve rather than to be served. You're probably familiar with that passage in Philippians chapter 2. We'll begin with verses 6 and 7. It's talking about Jesus, and it begins by saying, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. We'll stop right there. That phrase, he made himself nothing, it means to empty yourself. He he made himself nothing, but he took the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. That's the Christmas story. That's the Christmas story in one phrase. Verse 8 goes on to say, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. A number of years ago, the church staff where I served had a skating party for all of the staff families, and we had a blast there. I'm telling you what, about halfway through the evening, though, there were two female co-workers who came up to me, and they challenged me to a race. Well, I will be honest with you. I'm not the greatest roller skater I'm not even probably a good roller skater, but I'm extremely competitive. And if you challenge me to anything, I will take you up on the challenge. And these two girls looked at me when I said, yes, I'll race against you. And they said, oh, do you think that you can beat us? I said, I will crush you in Christian love, all right? (laughs) So it's going to be a three-lap race. And so someone started us off, said, you know, Marcus said, go. We took off and for that first lap. I'm telling you what, it was neck and neck. I was breathing down their necks. I was like a NASCAR driver. I'm just drafting behind them, waiting for my time, waiting for my moment. But on the second lap, as it began, as is always the case at a roller skating rink, you know what happens. There's a little six-year-old boy who knows how to skate backwards. (laughs) I don't know if that's what it looks like. I'm going to stop right there. but he's skating backwards and he cuts right in front of me. So now I'm faced with a choice. I can either mow him over, right? Or I think if I veer really hard to my right, there's a big wall right there. I can push off of that wall and with my brute strength, I can catapult myself into first place, right? Well, that's what I did. I veered off to the right. I headed over that wall and with all my might, I pushed off of that wall, but when I got to that wall, I didn't know that there was a long nail that was sticking out. And so when I pushed up there, I I impaled myself. And since I'm on roller skates, I'm now sliding, and so the nail just slides right across my hand. Well, I hop back in the race, I... I don't make up much ground in the second lap, but on the third lap, I make up some more ground, and I come pretty close to catching up with them, but I, I, I lose. And as these girls go across the finish line, they're going, girls rock, girls rock, we win, we win. And they turn back around at me and say, we beat you. And then they look down, they said, Dave, they said, Dave, your, your, your hand is bleeding. Did you know your hand is bleeding? 
I said, well, yes, I, I do know that, and that's why you won. Uh, I said, it happened back on the second lap. I said, I'm, I'm not going to make a big deal about it. Uh, you know, congratulations on the victory. I'd, I'd love to have a rematch, but I, I need to go to the hospital and get some stitches. Good job, ladies. And, and then I headed out and went to the hospital and, and, and got stitched up. Now, did you notice something? As I shared that story with you, did you notice what you did at one point? You winced. You cringed. You audibly responded. But may I point out to you that we no longer flinch when we hear the phrase, Jesus was crucified. Why is there no lump in my throat when I say they drove nails into the hands of Jesus? Is it possible that the story of the cross of Christ has become so routine for us that we're more stressed over an accidental piercing rather than an intentional sacrifice? Has time sanitized the suffering of our Savior to the point where it no longer actually touches our heart anymore? That while he was laid in a wooden manger, all the while he was destined for a wooden cross. And may I point out that if you are consumed and fixated with climbing up the ladder of success, just be aware of the fact that while you climb the ladder, there will come a point where you will cross paths with Jesus, but he will be on his way down the ladder because you never get any higher in the kingdom of God than the position of a servant. And when Jesus went to the cross, he served, he loved, he gave, he pursued you. So in light of what Jesus did for us, let me ask you a question. What is our response to the gift of Jesus? What's our response? And I hope we would answer, it's to share boldly. Let's see what the shepherds, what those first witnesses of the arrival of the Messiah did. Luke chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They couldn't keep the message to themselves. Their natural response was to spread the word. And you have a great opportunity this week to do just that to offer a simple invitation to a friend, a coworker, a family member to join you at one of Lake Point's 30 candlelight services spread across all of the campuses. And this is your opportunity. This is your chance to spread the word. People are open to spiritual conversations at this time of year. They're open to coming to a church service. There must be a sense of urgency and an invitation communicates value. You are saying, I, I value you. I care about you. You are pursuing community with that person. That's why, why God left heaven and came to earth. And he invites you to be a part of his family. Maybe you heard about the couple who went shopping with their five-year-old son. And, and through the course of time, they got a little bit more interested in, in looking at clothing than they did keeping an eye on their son. 
And the husband thought that the wife was watching him. The wife thought that the husband was watching him. And after about 10 minutes, they kind of got their heads together and they realized that he wasn't with either one of them and no one was watching him. They started looking around. After a few more minutes, different workers there and employees kind of got involved in the action. They tried to help out as well. Couldn't find him anywhere. Another 10 minutes passed. And it was at that point that the mom had this sinking feeling in her heart I might never see my son again. I wonder if he's been abducted. And it was at that time, over the loudspeaker, a voice said, would Mr. and Mrs. Bernard Johnson please report to the manager's office on the second level? And the parents went bounding up the escalator steps and they found the office and they threw open the door and they're seated back behind the manager's desk with his feet propped up on the desk, sipping on a cold Coke, was their five-year-old son having the time of his life. But when the little boy saw the frantic and worried expression on his parents' faces, his smile immediately gave way and he burst into tears. Do you realize why? He had no idea he was lost until he was found. And each and every day, you rub shoulders with countless people who are in precisely the same spiritual condition and they do not have a clue. They do not have a clue that they are heading into a crisis eternity. But maybe you, maybe you could say a word on God's behalf. Maybe you could give that simple invitation that could in turn change a spiritual family tree for generations to come. You see, we just need to be willing to spread the word. Joy is a choice, and joy grows out of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and we want to share that with people. It's a joy that comes from knowing, knowing him. You've decided to follow him. Therefore, your past has been forgiven. Your future has been settled, and so you can enjoy living in the present. I like the way Crawford Loritz says it. He says, at birth, you look like your parents. At death, you look like your decisions. Decide to live for Jesus, to know him personally. Happiness is not based on happenings. Joy is based on something within. Joy is not based on circumstances. It's not based on, on things that happen throughout the day. Our joy comes from that relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. You know what's going to happen in the next week? At some point, you will get your family together, and you will watch the movie classic, Elf. And you will love it because you'll see that Buddy leaves the North Pole and Buddy the Elf somehow makes it to New York City. And he's in New York City. And he finds himself working at, at Gimbel's. And it's an awesome scene. You remember that? He's talking to the, to the store manager on that floor and, and the floor manager's talking to him and Buddy's just smiling away, talking to him. He says, why are you smiling? He says, I just love to smile. Smiling's my favorite thing. He said, well, make work your favorite thing. And then the next thing that the floor manager says, he says, let me get everybody's attention. He gets all the employees around. He says, at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, Santa Claus is coming. Santa Claus will be here. And Buddy goes crazy. Santa Claus? Santa Claus is coming? Yes, yeah, Santa Claus is going to be here at 10 o'clock. You remember what he says next? He says, I know him. I know him. He doesn't say, I know about him. He doesn't say, I've heard of him. He says, I know him. And the question for you today, 
is do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know him? You see, in Philippians chapter four, there's this really cool passage that talks about how the apostle Paul says that he has learned to be content in any and every situation. He says, I have learned the secret to being content. What's the secret? Well, the secret is a reference back to what he wrote on the previous page in Philippians chapter three, verse 10, where he says, I wanna know Christ. I wanna know Christ. I wanna know the fellowship of sharing with him in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow I can attain to the resurrection of the dead. He doesn't say, I wanna know about Christ. He doesn't wanna say, I've heard about Christ. He says, I wanna know him. And I'm here to tell you today, if you know him, he can bring you a joy that will not fade, a joy that is eternal, a joy that is deep and abiding. For today, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for what Jesus did. We thank you for the way that he gave generously. We thank you that he wanted to pursue community with, with us. And we give you praise, Lord, for the fact that he served humbly. May we follow his example. And may we follow the example of the shepherds and spread the news. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.